Tonight I'll be reading from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. Again, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear him. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and will go in out of pasture. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of you in here that have seen the movie Forrest Gump, uh, but if you haven't, it's about uh, this boy that started growing up uh, about the 1940s and 50s, up through his life, up into the 90s. And you learn a lot about the social factors uh, as he grew up. You, you might kind of see it from a different standpoint, because he usually was, he remained neutral in different situations. Um, but if you remember when he was in Vietnam, he was a soldier in Vietnam, and him and his group of uh, soldiers that he was with were in the middle of uh, a lot of combat. There was a lot of gunshots going off, a lot of airplanes flying over, and um, it wasn't going real good for him and his, the group of guys he was with. But uh, long story short, Forrest made it out, and when, when he got out, he uh, realized that uh, he was all alone, so he went back in. And he, he picked up and usually put on his shoulder each one of the guys in his group. There might have been, I think, 10 or 12 of them in total. And he went back into the combat and drug them out. Went back into the combat and drug them out. And a couple of the guys were saying, leave me here. I'm, I was born to die in the in war. Leave me here. But no, he, he had a heart and he went in and drug each one of them out. If you rewind a little bit back to when he was in college, I think he went to the University of Alabama, and it was in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement, and uh, there were, I think, two students, two black students, that it was their first day of classes, and they had a big police escort to make sure they got to their classes safely, and if you can kind of put yourself in the time, white people and black people had their differences back then. White people didn't think very highly of black people. And they, re they really didn't like the fact that there were black people that were going to college with them. And so the tensions were kind of high, and uh, these two students walked with the police officers in, uh, into their building. And they were, I guess, I'm sure they were nervous. And one of the, the black students, it was a lady, she dropped her book. Well, Forrest came swimming through the crowd, and he picked up the notebook and said, Ma'am, ma'am, you dropped your notebook. And I'm sure all those white people were thinking, Forrest, what are you doing? We... You know, that's her problem. That's not our problem. But Forrest, he cared, he genuinely cared for every person that he was with, every person that he met. If, if it was a stranger on the street, um, he genuinely cared for each one of them. If you already have your Bibles open or open them up to John 10, tonight we're going to study some more about Jesus as a shepherd. He was the, the good shepherd, the true shepherd. And it's kind of a, a metaphor for how shepherds take care of their sheep, how Jesus takes care of us. And don't get it confused with being an elder because that's, that metaphor is where the, the elders are our shepherd and the church is a, a flock. It's kind of the same thing, but it's a little bit different. Uh, we'll start in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Um, this whole block of passage right here kind of explains how Jesus is the good shepherd. 
Um, he cares for us. He makes sure that we have all our needs. Uh, in verses 7 through 9 that we just read, we learn that he is the door to the sheep. And you might have heard it explained before, but a sheepfold is where, back in Bible times, they kept their sheep overnight. It was these big, big enclosure. Uh, it had tall rock fences where nothing could get in and nothing could get out. And there was a door. At one side there was a door. And usually one of the shepherds, I'm guessing the way it reads, there's a lot of, a bunch of different shepherds would keep their flocks in the sheepfold. And um, one of the shepherds would stand at the door or lay at the door overnight and make sure nothing got out and that nothing got in that um, would intend to harm the sheep. Um, verses 7 through 9 point out that Jesus is the door to the, she is the, door to the sheepfold for us. Um, and we have to pass through him to get in and out of the sheepfold. Uh, let's look at verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they, have it, and that they may have it more abundantly. Um, he's the, he is our shepherd. And uh, the, inside the sheepfold they have safety. And because he's the door, those sheep have safety. And because of Jesus, if you can picture yourself as a sheep, he says we have life more abundantly. And that life is the life that we have in heaven. Um, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Well, literally, Jesus gave his life for us. If, if we're the sheep, he gave his life for us. And not, that, not only that he died on the cross, but when he was here on this earth, he was preaching and teaching so that he could spread the word, the good word uh, about him, so that we may have uh, life in heaven. Um, let's go back to verses 1 and 2. Uh, the last couple of verses we looked at talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. But 1 and 2, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who, is enter by, who enters by the door is shepherd of the sheep. Anything that came in the sheepfold came in through the door. And if it crawled over the rock wall, it was a thief or a robber or something bad for the sheep. Um, what he's talking about here is that you have to pass through me, it, what, meaning he's the, only, he's the only way to get to the Father. You have to pass through him at the sheepfold to come get your sheep. Um, you have to pass out right by him to get to the Father, meaning he is the, the one, he's the true shepherd. Um, skip back to verses 26 and 27. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, here, you have to decide if you're going to be one of uh, the sheep that follows Jesus as a shepherd. He was talking to a group of Jews here that didn't exactly like what he had to say. They kept refuting him and trying to tell him that he was wrong, and later they tried to stone him. And Jesus tells them that... You don't believe me because you're not my because you're not my sheep. You're someone else's sheep. I wouldn't mind having you, but you just don't believe me. And he says that my sheep, the people that believe me, they hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and never shall any, shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So we have to decide if we're going to follow him. Are we going to let him be our shepherd? Or are we going to let something else be our shepherd? Uh, but we just talked about in verses uh, 1 and 2 that 
You know, the only way to the Father is through Him. So that's the decision that we have to make. Um, we'll kind of switch gears. This talks about Jesus as a shepherd. Uh, go back to verses 3 and 4. And these might kind of look at us, look at it as us as shepherd, as we lead people. We may not mean to lead people, but we come into contact every day with different people that look up to us. Verses 3 and 4. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls, the sh- he calls his own sheep by his name, and he leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And I underline the last part of verse 4. It says, for they know his voice. Um, the shepherd goes into the sheepfold to get his sheep, and the sheep, they recognize him. They hear his voice. You know, you can see today with farmers and their cows, there's a distinct sound that the farmer will make when, they, when it's feeding time. And back then, I guess it's the same. Um, but be a person that people will follow you. Be a person that when they hear your voice, they know your voice, they know something godly you're going to say, and give them a reason to follow you. Um, just to kind of recap what we went over tonight, Jesus is the true shepherd, the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep. And uh, you can be someone that people will follow and that when they hear your voice, they know something godly is going to come out and that it's good for them to follow. Thank you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord.
I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Good evening. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to thank um, a couple of people. I want to thank all of you that are here in the audience tonight, uh, and I'm glad that, to see so many faces out to learn from God's Word. I also want to thank the elders for the opportunity, and I want to thank Mr. Doug for, letting it, er, for helping us do this. Um, as I looked for a topic, I saw this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in his presence of many witnesses. Okay, let's go ahead and read this one more time just so we can grasp it. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So let's see what, what we can learn from these, this verse. What is the good fight of faith? For our first topic, let's just back up one verse. In 11 it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Okay, so, what, so we can see that he says, the first thing he says is righteousness. And as I looked these up in Webster's Dictionaries, it said, following moral laws. Okay, but whose moral laws are we supposed to follow? Those of the earth or those of God's? I think the fact that we're reading from God's words tells us that it obviously has to be his. Next we have godliness. It just means exactly how it sounds, like God. Next we have faith. Webster says strong belief or trust. Okay, so we've already seen that we have to be righteous, and now we must be strong, and str not only be strong in the faith, but also believe and trust in him. Next we have love. It says to feel great affection for someone, but who are we supposed to love? Are we only supposed to love God, or are we also supposed to love the others around us? I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think he just means for us to love God. We are supposed to love God with all of our heart, but we're also supposed to love our neighbor and love all the, the people of God and those that are not the people of God. Steadfastness. Steadfastness means very devoted or loyal to someone. So we're supposed to be devoted to God through everything that we do, and we're supposed to be loyal to him. Next we have gentle, gentleness, and it's pretty much as simple as godliness. It just means being gentle or being kind to someone that you don't know. Being kind to your friends, your family. I think that's something that we all can struggle with from times to time. So these are the things that God would consider the good fight. So for the second question, we ask ourselves, what eternal life is he talking about? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's go to John um, chapter 3, 
or 1 John chapter 3, or verse, no, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we can see the eternal life that we get is the one that Jesus gave up his life for. And our final question that we need to answer from the, that we can learn from these verses is what confession? So our final point, let's go to Matthew 10, verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father. So we can see that all, all we need to do to have eternal life is to follow his commandments and to go through, fight the good fight, make the confession. And after we make the confession, then we can become baptized into Christ and have eternal life with him. All right, so let's go ahead and recap. What did we learn? First, be righteous, God-like, full of faith, loving, devoted, loyal, and kind to all. Number two, stay strong for an eternal life with God. And number three, do not, do not deny Jesus, but profess him to all. Thank you again for your time. If you would please stand. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, and thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me all and saving me. My soul, I want to thank you, Lord, for loving me. Father, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Please reveal your
from Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 through 26 Philippians chapter 1 21 through 26 For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain but if I live on in the flesh this will mean fruit for my labor yet what I shall choose I cannot tell for I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart to be with Christ which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy and faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for my coming to you again. Good evening. First, I would like to thank the elders for allowing the circuit riders to come lead in this worship tonight. We always value these opportunities to build our skills and confidence in the Lord's work. When we set out in life to accomplish something great and worthwhile, it always requires that we discipline ourselves to high standards. And to gain the ultimate prize, we must also know that so there will involve suffering and sacrifice. Tonight we will look at the words and the life of Paul describing what it means to live a life in Christ, suffer for the sake of Christ, and finally we will look at our gain in death. Let's begin tonight reading in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21, 23, and 24. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Skipping down to verse 23. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. First, let's consider that a life in Christ being the highest standard is our first and essential step toward our final goal. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We will be reading verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith and to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In this passage, we see that we are justified by faith through Christ Jesus and that we also have access to God's grace through Him. Let's look at another verse from God's Word that has something to say about living a life for Christ. A page over in your Bibles is Romans chapter 6. 
verses 5 and 6. Romans 6, 5 and 6. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. According to this verse, a life in Christ means that our old man, the man of sin, is put up on the cross with Christ and crucified with him so that we can be free from the bondage of sin. Further down in this same chapter, verses 10 and 11 of Romans chapter 6, tell us that we should consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Moving on to our second point, we must understand that this life in Christ will not come without suffering. But we also must know that our trials can come to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. A great example of this in the scriptures is the life of Paul. In Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul was beaten and thrown into prison for his beliefs. We see in many other passages of the Bible that this happened many times. But notice how Paul viewed his suffering in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In this text, we notice that Paul's suffering came to the furtherance of the gospel. He was thrown into prison for his beliefs, but he didn't let that stop him. In verse 13, he says, It has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. In verse 14, we see that those around him became confident in Christ and started speaking the gospel. So what we get here is Paul fell into trial, but he kept Christ close. Those around him noticed, and then they started speaking the gospel also. Paul's trials came to the furtherance of the gospel. Let's also consider the encouraging words of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Romans 5, 3, and 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. As we see in this passage of the Bible, we need to be happy when we come to a bump in the path of life, because the Word of God tells us that through our trials will come perseverance, and character, and hope of the ultimate prize. That ultimate prize being everlasting life with God in heaven. As we close tonight, let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. 
For I am hard pressed between the two, that is, to live on in the flesh or to die in Christ. He says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul is simply saying that everlasting life with Christ is far better than this life in which we now live. And so it is for us to die in Christ is gaining the final and ultimate goal of everlasting life with God in heaven. Thank you. I will be reading from Acts 8, 26-39. That's Acts 8, 26-39. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can, I how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the, passage of the script now the passage of the scriptures that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before it, shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm. One of the most recognized passages of scripture there is in the entire Bible. 
the most famous psalm by far. And it starts, the Lord is my shepherd. I work at Hermitage Golf Course, which is just down the road in, in Hermitage, Tennessee. It's a beautiful, beautiful course, uh, which for me makes for a very enjoyable work environment. I wash golf carts all day. And the other day when I was washing golf carts, I uh, looked out and saw this beautiful sunset over the golf course and I, and I had to take a picture. If you have played on that course before or happen to enjoy studying the local golf course scene, you may know that, her, that at Hermitage we have black-faced sheep. They're, they're Scottish black-faced sheep and we let them roam the course. So if you go and play, um, you might be teeing off right there and a, and a few sheep might be grazing right next to you. My favorite part of the day is when I get to go and herd the sheep. I get to go out, get on the golf cart, and go find the sheep somewhere on the golf cart and, and, and chase them back towards their pen. I had the most fun the other day when there was a herd of sheep just standing there and I got to jump out of the golf cart and I was like, yeah, 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 let's go boys, let's go boys, and chasing them towards their pen. I felt like a true shepherd as I was herding those sheep. <laughs> Here's the thing about the sheep. They're very, very easy to herd, so I'm not that because they are deathly afraid of people. They, they run from you. They're so frightened. I can't get close to them and pet them, which I really want to do because they look very fluffy, <laughs> because they run away from me. If you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Isaiah chapter 53 this evening, um, and we'll be ending in Acts uh, chapter 8. Now, when I was preparing this lesson, I was not aware that Justin was also going to be talking about sheep. Thankfully, I did not uh, use the same scriptures he did. Um, we'll start uh, here in Isaiah 53 and verse 4 is where we're going to be beginning. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, and we, are like, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These verses, as I read them and as I read them over and over again, every single time I read them, they mean more and more to me. And really, if we're a Christian, they should mean the same thing to us all. They should have a kick to our heart. Isaiah in this passage is prophesying about when Jesus is going to be coming, not for the second time, like a lot of us are used to thinking of, but the first time. He, he writes about the pain Jesus is about to go through, the, the, the wounds that he's going to go through, and the misery that he's going to go through. It hurts me to think about my, my sins. And when I think about my sinning and I, and I have those regrets and I just sit there and think, why would I ever have done that? And that brings me pain, the guilt and the, and the suffering of that. And then you picture Jesus on the cross and what he went through when, as he was hanging on the cross and every single sin that was ever committed and will ever be committed came on him. And he felt the guilt and the shame of all those. 
This morning, we sang the song, Can You Still Feel the Nails? The words go, can you still feel the nails every time we fail? Can I hear the crowds cry crucify again? Am I causing him pain when I know I have to change? Because I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Every time we sin, we're taking our sin and putting it right there with Jesus. And saying, here, take that, Jesus. And he's feeling it. On the golf course the other day, a call came on our radio. And they said, guys, the sheep are missing. A deathly scary thing when you have Scottish black-faced sheep that you have to take care of. And they said, you better go find them. So we went out and we, and we got on the golf course and, and we started roaming around. I jumped in the golf cart and I was speeding around because that's what I enjoy doing at work. <laughs> and I, and I, discovered, I didn't actually find the sheep. Thankfully, someone else found the sheep and, and we took them back to their, to their little pen where they live. Here's the thing about us as people. We are so similar to sheep. I, as I spend more and more time with these lovely creatures, I'm starting to understand how we can relate to them. Why the Bible so often uses us as a comparison to sheep. See, those sheep, when they were missing, they weren't like wandering through the neighborhoods near the golf course like they've done before, but they were just going around the other golf course and we just couldn't find them. See, a lot of times we're just like those sheep. We wander away. We go astray. We, we leave our path, our walk with Christ. And we go and we, and we leave that light of Christ that, that he has in us. We continue to walk away from our Lord, going our own direction. And we continue to cause the pain for our Lord every single day. If you, verse 7 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I don't think I ever realized how innocent that sheep are until I started getting to be around these guys. They're some of the most, I don't I don't want to say lame creatures because they do have a purpose, but they don't really do anything. They're just there. They're in existence. They're very basic creatures. If we were to go, and, and our sheep are very scared of us, but if you were to go to a, a tame sheep, there is nothing that he could do to stop you from slaughtering it. Here's the thing, though. Jesus paid the price in death. He took, our, he was that sheep that was slaughtered. Jesus paid the price in death, took on all, all our sins, and gave us the chance to live with him for eternity. Many of us have taken that in our minds because we've heard it so many times, and we've taken it and just dismissed it as another idea that we know is true when we love it. But we don't really understand the power that comes from that. Jesus paid the price in death. He died. He went through the worst death ever. He took on all our sins at once, which I would never want to experience that. And then he gave us the chance to live with him for eternity, to spend forever with him. People who don't deserve it at all, we got the chance to live with him. If you go over to Acts chapter 8, now, thankfully, Joseph read that for us.
is a very long passage. I apologize for making him read that. But I felt like it needed to be read in this situation. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which is one of my favorite stories in, in the entire scripture. We see that we all know that it's a powerful story after hearing it, but I wanted to know, us to notice the part of what scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. It, in, in Acts 8, 32-33, it says, Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Does that look familiar? Because he just read it in Isaiah. That same passage that, that the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting there reading is one that means so much to us now and will mean to people for eternity. You see, when, when Philip arrived on the scene and the Ethiopian eunuch said to him, you know, what does this mean? It gave Philip the perfect opportunity to describe and explain to him who Jesus was. He explained to him, now that Isaiah had already been written and this prophecy that he had prophesied had come true. Philip got the chance to tell him in detail all that had happened, the power that was there in that crucifixion. The Ethiopian eunuch realized what, how much power was in that. And, and he said, here, and he said um, in verse uh, 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see what from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and then he was baptized. That is power. Sometimes I, I think about this. And, and I, th I feel so guilty and, and sorrowful. And most of the time, it's during the time of reflection during the Lord's Supper. And as I take the bread and, and I, I drink the juice, and I sit there and I think to myself, this is the body that, that was tortured. It was beaten. And you can read all about it in all four of the Gospels. And you realize the pain and suffering that Jesus went through every day. And then we look at our lives and and we continue to go on sinning, almost slapping Jesus in the face, saying, there's to your sacrifice for me. It seems painful to me that I continue to sin. And it hurts me that it's so difficult to change. Jesus came and died. He asked us to turn from our sins and follow him. Something that sounds so easy to say, but we all know in reality is something so difficult. Are you like the Ethiopian? Have you not been baptized this evening and, and you have heard the message? You know the message. You know that Jesus came and died and is here to save your sins. And, and tonight, just like the Ethiopian was baptized there, we have water right here. We can baptize you this evening into Christ. Or maybe you've already been baptized and and along the way you've been like one of those sheep on the golf course and you're somewhere on the far end of the golf course and the shepherd has to come find you and round you back up and bring you to the rest of the flock the Lord is your shepherd 
if we can help you in any way, baptize you, pray for you, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, please come as we stand.